everybody, and welcome to episode number 173 of the Canadian Football Countdown, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, Labor Day weekend has come and gone, a fantastic weekend, one of the most hyped up ones of the CFL season. We're here to break it all down here tonight. We'll go through the each of the games, we'll give our players of the week, update our power rankings, and talk through our CFL fantasy and betting results here as well. I'm Ryan Coop, and I am joined, as usual, by the great Michael Garrell. Mike, how are you doing tonight? The solo thing, this retro thing, whatever you want to call it, brings back a lot of great memories. Um uh, our football team created memories of a different kind of racing memories of years past. We'll talk about that. A kicker also erased memories of a previous week, which is good. And I guess we could talk about Labor Day memories as a whole. But nonetheless, good evening, Ryan. Good evening, everybody. I have a lot on my mind. Oh, this boy. not be a three-hour show. We'll try to keep it short. We'll try to keep it concise here this evening, Mike, as we move along throughout the evening. Hello to everybody joining us live as well. We're live over on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, you name it. Uh, all made possible by our presenting sponsor, Game Time TV, which you can learn more about at facebook.com slash Game Time TV MB. And uh, what's the website link there, Mike? Uh, as of this morning, you can watch all of our content at watch.gametime.com. TV.ca. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, this episode of the podcast is also brought to you in part by BetStamp. Uh, there are so many different sports books out there these days. Each one offers you different prices on the same games. Well, how do you ensure you're getting the best value? BetStamp provides you that info at no additional cost by allowing you to simply pull up a game on their site, see the different odds offered for each game. You can see the money lines, you can see the spreads, you can see the over under point totals, anything you want for each game and uh you can see them across many different sports books so they'll help you find the one that's going to maximize the return if you're confident in your pick you can just sign up through the corresponding page and link it to your BetSnap app through the bet link page to make it easier to place those wagers once you find them and if you want some extra insight you can also take a look at the commission-free bet stamp marketplace where people such as us here at the canadian football countdown if you search cf countdown pod there you'll find us you can see our picks and everybody else's picks every single week to see kind of what the rest of the field is picking in that regard. Uh, and through BetStamp's verified bet tracking, you get the guarantee and reassurance that the odds that have been picked are verified and legitimate at the time. Visit BetStamp.app or download the free app from your local app store. Sign up with referral code CFC. Let them know we sent you. And uh, start tracking your wagers, and uh, best of luck with your online sports betting. And remember, always bet responsibly. Do not bet the farm. Uh, Mike, we're going to get into talking about each of the games here shortly. But, of course, before we do that, we want to also acknowledge that the Canadian Football Countdown is brought to you from Treaty 1 Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation, as well as from Treaty 4 Territory, traditional territory of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis Nation. Before we get into talking about the uh, the games this week, a, a couple of things. First of all, 
I just want to uh, uh, thank you, I think is in order because as announced on social media earlier today, we officially hit 10,000 all-time downloads on Podbean. A uh, big accomplishment for us here for our little podcast. We're very excited about it and we're very appreciative of everybody who has uh, hopped, who has listened in, whether it's once, whether it's weekly, those who join us live every single week. We're very excited to uh, to uh, have you join us as we talk about CFL football every single week. So thank you to everybody and shout out to our amazing crew. Mike's here. I'm here. Adam and Trey, of course, a big part of that as well. Uh, Mike, I think let's get into game number one here and then we'll talk about some other things uh, as we get uh, into things. Although Tim in the chat says, uh, can you skip the Montreal Red Blacks recap, please? Sorry, Tim, we cannot. We'll start off with that one here, but uh, let's go right into Montreal, Ottawa, and then uh, then we'll get into Winnipeg, Saskatchewan. We may have a couple people hopping in here to, uh, to help us out with that one shortly. So, uh, Mike, Montreal, Ottawa, 38-24. The Red Blacks pull out the win here on the road. What was your initial take on this game? Well, my initial take after not having seen the game but watching highlights is uh... – Man, a calamity of a week for the Alouettes. Uh, if you go back to what was their bye week and their ownership situation, and to be honest, it appeared like it took itself on the field for this game. Uh, I thought that Montreal was ill-prepared for this football game, and Ottawa came out. Um Logic would suggest this was a bigger game for the visitors than it was for the home team, uh, based on the standings. And it seemed to be that in three and a bit hours, we might not have been able to draw any conclusion about what we thought was safe and what we thought was a reasonable thought. Because coupled with results today, well... The Ottawa Red Blacks are no longer in the basement of the East Division and are hot on the heels of the team that they just beat suddenly for a playoff spot. I don't know. I don't know what to make a bunch of all. They very, I might have a very, you know, we're getting into awards later on in the show. Uh, we talked about players of the week and we talked about I don't know, misfortune of the week, one of which happened on the sideline. The other misfortune would be this one. Um, full credit to Ottawa, but I'm really disappointed in Montreal. They had it right in front of them. And they traded their franchise quarterback for I don't know what reason, which is still trying to wrap my head around. and. I'm not so sure about them anymore. And well, one, one, all of a sudden, Nick Arbuckle, to me, has thrown something very interesting into this divisional race. Yeah, one of the things we had talked about on our Wednesday night preview show, Trey, Adam, and myself, is for Montreal, the concerns that they're coming off the bye week, but there was so many dis- there were so many distractions. There was Vernon Adams' trade. There was that other defensive trade. There was uh, everything to deal with, uh, you know, Christophe Normand and the the, the the police report on, you know, luring a minor and the fallout with the team with that. And he's now been released 
by the team, thankfully, after he was initially suspended. Then there was the whole Gary Stern news. Like, it was a chaotic bye week for Montreal, a team that doesn't seem to have discipline. And how on your week off when you're supposed to take that time to prep for the new, you know, next batch of the season, when you have all this chaos in an undisciplined team, how do you expect them to be ready to go for this football game? I surely didn't. That's why I took Ottawa to win this game. And, uh, you know, I thought Montreal was in a bit of disarray. I thought their game, I believe the game before the bye week for them was that uh, one where they took 150-something yards of penalties but still beat Hamilton, a game they had no business winning because of, of the lack of discipline there. So I'll give them this. They did keep it concise here in terms of the number of penalties. There weren't a ton here for Montreal in this one, um, but they just didn't seem quite prepped and ready to go in this game. And Ottawa, to their credit, uh, came out and they played well. And I didn't think they were going to string. I didn't wasn't sure they could string two games in a row together. But uh, hey, seems like that Nick Arbuckle trade is working out kind of well for Ottawa here. Uh, to bring him in, and I'm so happy to see him succeeding. 313 yards and a touchdown here for him in this one. Uh, I thought Devontae Williams looked great in the run game as well. Ottawa's all of a sudden got a little bit of momentum, and now we get to the point in the season where, you know, I like to jump on the backs of an underdog team that uh, is, uh, you know, stringing a couple wins together here. I'll go out and say it. Maybe Ottawa can challenge for that home playoff game. Maybe they can challenge for, I don't know if they can challenge for first in the East. I think Toronto's, you know, strung a couple wins together here, uh, which is going to make that more difficult. But why not Ottawa hosting that Eastern semifinal against, uh, whether it be Montreal, Hamilton, or whoever crosses over from the West. Uh, this is a team that all of our talk had been about, uh, when's Paul Apolis going to get canned? And now they've put two wins in a row together, and I'm excited to see what they can do from here. Uh, Mike, anything else on on this one? What 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 was the biggest thing that stood out to you for Ottawa here? The biggest thing that stood out to me is it looked like one team was on a bye, the other wasn't. And you'd be fooled that maybe Ottawa was the team that came off the bye. Uh, preparation is key. Can't really blame uh, Montreal, but now they've got a really big matchup this week against PC and potentially their former teammate, uh, who's going to have a little bit of a fire lit under him uh, after being traded. Um, level of concern for Montreal, not quite there yet, but... You know, if they start to continue to lose, maybe some of their early season problems that we thought they were having but were masked a little bit by some pretty good play. Um, you know, there might be some of those concerns creeping back in uh, and coming more to the forefront. You know, you can only get away with, you know, a certain bit of, you know, undisciplined play for a while. And eventually it catches up with you. And, you know, there's not a lot of football games that you can win. You're a hundred and something, 50 yards in penalties. So clean it up in a hurry because it's still there for you. But, you know, it's oh, the wild. People thought about the wild, wild west in the CFL. The East is like changing our perception on a weekly basis, I'm excited to see what comes out of 
all of this in the next couple weeks. And let's not mistake this head-to-head um, business that's about to continue in the second half with a lot of the divisional matchups. Everybody talks about the Banjo Bowl, Battle of Alberta, those types of rematches this week. I'm looking at one matchup in particular, but I'm looking forward to this next week. Ottawa, Toronto, 1 p.m. Central on Saturday. Ottawa's won two in a row. Show me what you got. Yeah, and if they can win that game against Toronto, I mean, who knows what's going to happen down the stretch there in the East. Mike, let's move on to our next game here. The the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And, well, we had an interesting week of a little bit of back and forth between certain members of our podcast team, both on the podcast and on social media, of course. Uh, so what better way to recap this game than to have them surprisingly enter the studio at the same time? First, we've got the great Trey Colback is here. Trey, how are you doing tonight? Fantastic, boys. Uh, really want to talk about this game, so let's get at it. And we also have the great Adam Stewart joining us. The whole squad is here together. Adam, how are you tonight? You are muted. Okay, maybe that'll work better when I'm unmuted. Anyways, though, no, I'm doing real good. Uh, just got off the combine. So, uh, yeah, all going good. Right on. Uh, of course, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, the Labor Day Classic. Uh, truly was a classic, a heck of a football game. Uh, I'd be remiss, though, if we didn't quickly touch on before we get to the game. Obviously, there was a lot more going on in Saskatchewan than football uh, on this particular day, of course, the tragic events of the the mass uh, stabbings going on over in Saskatchewan. Uh, hard, hard to see uh, events like this going on, hoping definitely for a safe and uh, quick resolution to it as the police units continue to do their jobs there. And uh, I think I can speak on behalf of all of us when, uh, uh, you know, our heart goes out to all the family and friends of those affected by, by these tragic events over in Saskatchewan. But uh, yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy stuff for sure. It, it makes football take a bit of a backseat almost, uh, which is a shame uh, when, when that, when the things like this happen, but Nonetheless, uh, we did have a football game that still did go off that day. Uh, Trey, you went, uh, you took the trip over to Regina to take in this game live. Uh, what was the, that experience like for you? Man, there's nothing like Labor Day. It, there's nothing like it. And uh, oh, there was more green than I thought there would be. Uh, I thought there would be a little more blue, but there was tons of green. And uh, yeah, I made it out. I made it out, guys. Uh, I didn't. I didn't run my mouth. I didn't. I didn't say anything. I made some friends, and uh, I. I somehow got within the the sweet, sweet Manitoba border uh, last night. So I'm happy to be back home. But it was a good game, guys. Real good game, and uh, yeah, I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, let, let's start with you here, Adam. Uh, what What's the big storyline in this football game for you uh, in this close Labor Day Classic? You know, there, I think really there's two pieces here. I'll talk on the Rough Rider side of things. I think the emergence of Frankie Hickson, I think, would probably be the biggest surprise uh, slash uh, probably uh, development for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on their side. Uh, the, Frankie Hickson had a very good day. Uh, just had a good couple runs right off the bat. Looked like Winnipeg just wasn't quite ready for the run game that Saskatchewan brought. Uh, 
But then again, Jason Moss was going to Jason Moss later on in the game as well. Third quarter, Frankie Hickson decided that, well, we don't need him anymore. We'll just throw the ball apparently. And so that happened after that. So, you know, it was a tale of two quarters or two halves, essentially. Uh, the Riders got off to a real, real hot start. First drive, making that go all the way down after uh, and capping it with a Cody Fajardo touchdown plunge, uh, which brought it up to 7 nothing. Uh, then a couple field goals there from uh, the Saskatchewan's Brett Lowther, which helped me definitely in fantasy this week because, you know, I didn't have a whole lot helping me in fantasy this week. So that was a good see, sign. A couple of great catches from Keon Schaefer-Baker, uh, but mainly uh, uh, Kyron Moore and Shaq Evans both were back for the game. So that was big for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as well as they were starting to get healthy. The second half of this game, I wish I didn't have to talk about. Uh, third quarter was really a back-and-forth game of the defense. Both defenses tightened up for the third quarter. Uh, I think the highlight or anything, really, if you want to know on that one, was uh, I think in the third or was it the fourth that Tad Hansen got hurt for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? That's going to be of note for next week uh, just because he is a big part of that front of that defense for the Blue Bombers. Uh, However, let's get to over a little bit later on into this game. I think probably the summary for me was uh, about three or four minutes left in the, the fourth quarter when a nice little catch by Kyron Moore ends up putting the Riders on second and three, and then all of a sudden a flag, flag is thrown. Now, did Kyron Moore say something to the uh, defender? I'm not sure if it was uh, Houston or who it was exactly that was in there for the Blue Bombers uh, there. However... Flag, okay. Saskatchewan bench objectionable conduct. Did Coach Dickinson say something? No, no. No, we've got uh we've got uh Duke Williams that decided to go, who wasn't dressed for this game, I should add, open his mouth and say something stupid to a referee, end up getting a 10-yard penalty, second and 13. Riders were on a roll, by the way, at this point. They probably were gonna go down for a minimum field goal. And put a little bit of pressure on Mark Legio's kick from later on, which I'm sure Trey will be talking about. And what in the world? We're down second and 13, can't convert, have to punt it away, and the rest I think I'll leave up to Trey. Uh, but I guess, Mike, uh, you want to talk a little bit about the bomber side of things and how this went? Yeah, I actually have a couple of things. Uh, if I could just talk about the ridership for just one second. Um, cause I had the be benefit of watching the game again, uh, this morning, uh, just to see, you know, it's kind of second thoughts, things you didn't really think about in hindsight, granted how the game ended. Guys, I'm stunned. It's 11, nothing. It's third and a yard and a half. And Dickinson ends up taking the field goal based on the whole momentum of the game in the first quarter. I really am surprised in hindsight that they didn't go for it. Because uh, if they did a touchdown there, uh, you know, you're not talking about a 14 nothing game. You're talking about a 18 or 19 nothing game. Hindsight's 20-20. But, you know, from the Bombers' perspective, without shooting my own horn, which is very difficult to do, we saw exactly why they were a championship football team and why Michael Shea coaches 
and preaches discipline. Because five yards there, 10 yards there, 10 yards there, you know, 45 yards in, in penalties, that's a field goal. And, you know, the Bombers did, not to say that I was happy with their performance, but my level of concern down 14 nothing was very little. Just given the fact of the experience that this team has relative to other teams. That being said, um, I don't want to be too critical of the Bombers, but they left some points on the field. Um, I thought the play calling at times was curious. Um, both sides. Um, defense is locked in nicely in the third quarter. Um, you know, I, I, again, Winnipeg read the emotions of the game I fought very, very well. Um, Saskatchewan to the play calling did not. Um, there were times where they had Winnipeg on the ropes. And it was self-inflicted. That being said, I would consider this to be a warning shot for the Bombers. But if and when Saskatchewan decides to clean up some of the extra penalties, you know, this could be a game that Saturday. That being said, um, I'm going to give my coach of the week, whatever you want to call it that, to the Saskatchewan offensive line coach for drawing up some kind of scheme that Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson did not have near the effect in the game but I thought they would. That being said, the rematch, and just to cut my comments a little bit short, this game is about adjustments. There's a game Saturday, there's a game well, two weeks later. Now it's about adjustments. My concern is if Saskatchewan opened the playbook too far to try to win this game, and now Winnipeg can scheme around it. That being said, I do believe the Adric Hansen will be a bigger loss, more so on the special teams aspect than on the defensive aspect. But all in all, as is, I think, with a lot of these Labor Day games, it wasn't a beautiful painting. It's just a beautiful two points. Well I'll said. Well that. said there, Mike. Um, Trey, you, you got to take this game in live and then had a long drive back from Regina to Winnipeg to think about it afterwards. So uh, what stood out to you from this game? I know you were a bit fired up about some of the things you saw. So, uh, so what's got you fired up here, Trey? Well, for, I'm going to give a lot of praise to Saskatchewan for this game, especially that first quarter. And I'll try to describe it as best as I can. But they have a formation that I've fallen in love with this year. It's like a pistol set. Fajardo's kind of in shotgun, full back to his side and running back behind him. And they have a tight end. And they were running it beautifully. They kept doing the counter draw kind of thing where um, I believe Hicks, yeah, Hickson, the old line would go one way. Hickson would take a step, cuts the other way. And uh, the whole bomber defense got swallowed up by it at least two or three times, I think, the opening quarter. And then they stopped doing it. And then it was the most beautiful formation. I love the pistol set in especially the CFL and the college game. It just is and now the NFL when you get guys like 
Lamar and Mahomes and example like that. It's and Fajardo can be um, a scrambler at times. He's got legs. You could turn that into options. You turn that into so many things. That's like such a great formation. I don't know if I really ever saw it in the third or fourth quarter, and if I did, it didn't have the same effect. And and that's where I really started to lose. And and I'm gonna go with this game. Like look, other than one interception, the stats are kind of identical across the board, right? Um, it comes down to coaching. And I was saying, I when the first game when at the when we lost the coin when the Bombers lost the coin toss, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, O'Shea's gonna kick it off both times. He's gonna kick take the win both times. And 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 he he'll do that religiously, take the wind and and I, you know we didn't have the wind. I don't think Leg is making a fifty-five yard kick. The bombers weren't the one doing the silly penalties. And and you know you can him and haw about the pass interference one. That one I, I can honestly say it can go either way. I don't know what Duke Williams said. And and you know I'm going to say right now I don't think the Marino hit was a penalty. So, you know, I think the refing, it's Labor Day. You know, you're going to have some weird calls and some things are going to get let go. But it was a heck of a game, uh, you know, and I got to give the rider a lot of credit. And I don't, I think that uh, it, it's a, like, it's a, it's a bittersweet two points in the standings. And uh, I really appreciate the old guy that gave me a dirty look when he overheard me say we clinched a playoff spot when I was walking back to my car. Uh, he, he wasn't happy about that comment, but I was just, uh, I wasn't saying nothing about your guys' team. I was just saying my team clinched the playoff spot. But yeah, I really give a lot to. I think it was Riders and Legio. That like the Riders, they just that's the only team. And, and O'Shea's coaching. That's the things I really want to talk about. Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned a lot of good, good things there. Uh, one of the things, uh, maybe if you can elaborate a little bit on, because I think it's a, it's an interesting, it's a non-conventional, but I think it's a logical take uh, based on how you explained it to us earlier today. That Garrett Marino hit in the final three minutes there on on, on Zach Caleros. Uh, obviously, immediately a lot of people are thinking, "Oh, that's a dirty hit." Then they see it's Marino. Then they're a hundred percent convinced it's a dirty hit, especially given his track record. But you seem to be kind of going a different direction there. So, uh, wh- why don't you think this one's a penalty, uh, Trey? And, and unless there's a rule, like I said, also in the group chat that negates this. But my understanding is because it's a handoff and a pitch, Kalaros turns into a def- like a blocker. He's no longer the passer, right? Because he had pitched it. So it's the same thing to me as like if uh, Marino ran right into Hardrick or, or, um, or Yoshi on whatever, any, or a receiver, right? That that's, and I understand, unless there's another rule saying quarterbacks can't get hit in that situation, but like, that's the way I looked at it is it was a backwards pass. It's not a forward one. He's no longer the passer. He's a, player just laterally passing it and then he turns into a, a blocker necessarily right and then i think it got it's obviously magnified because it's like you know it's enemy number one out there who did it if it was another rider would we even really be talking about it as much if, and you know if, if jefferson actually did that to fajardo would we be talking about it as much you know there was a couple hits there the bomber defense got away with too and uh you know so I, 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 it would have been different if it was a forward throw. I think that's my uh, difference. But like you know, let's look at the rule book. Maybe there is something protecting the quarterback in that situation. But no, I don't think so. Yeah, that was my immediate reaction on it as well. As first thing when I saw the hit, I was like, eh, that might be a bit late. Then I saw it was Garrett Marino, and it was like, oh, of course, right? Like that's the immediate reaction. Of course, it's Marino. 
but then you kind of think about it. And yeah, I think most of the uproar is just based on track record. If it was anybody else and maybe less of a big, you know, big stage football game, we're thinking maybe that's a 15 yard penalty, maybe a fine, but not, certainly not, you know, suspension worthy, but you know, with Marino, it's the track record. It's every week, it's something different with him. And so it's, it starts to build up and up where even if a hit is, you know, potentially marginal, he's going to get called for it, uh, whether it's on the field, whether it's supplemental discipline afterwards, something's got to give there for, uh, for Garrett Marino uh, at some point, right, Adam? Absolutely. I looked at that one too. And the first initial thought was the same as yours, Ryan. Uh, what the heck? It's Garrett Murray. Oh no, here we go again. Uh, now that I look at it again, the other thing you got to remember is you do a pitch and you're doing a fake run, right? You're trying to run around and make it look like you have still have the football, which means you're kind of exposed to getting hit. And if that was an NHL play, that's a body check. That's not a tackle. It's not a smoke. It's not an absolute destroy. Let's face it. I've been showing all week Craig Butler taking off uh, Buck Pierce's head. That was way worse than what we seen out of Garrett Marino here today or last night. So to me, it's you could call objectionable conduct if you really want to. It, it, I could see where it could come in because, again, Zach Kalos is still looking the other way a little bit. You could try that if you really want to, but I can't see this being a fine or a suspension or anything else, just because really there's, there's not much there. Uh, and the ref used his discretion on that call. He thought that, Hey, he could have been, let's face it. If, if Zach Alaros pulled that ball down and started running with it, Garrett Marino hit him like that. There'd be no question. It's just a hit. I think. Right. Right, Mike. Yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting scenario, but you guys bring up like my, my real concern with it is, and again, this is hindsight being 2020. I had a completely different reaction last night after the fact, as you would imagine. Uh, the only concern I have with it is it's a defenseless quarterback. Um, but again, it's he's making that beeline right towards them uh, to expect them to slow down. It's, you know... I don't have much of a problem with it after the fact versus I did maybe in the moment, given the track record. Uh, the other thing that really jumps out to me, and I, and I know we got to move on to the next game here, it's how both teams were able to kind of elude each other's pass rushers. Because this could have set up to be 20 shots each, you know, combined. Uh Kalaros did a good job eluding the pocket. Pajardo did a good job, you know, making things work. Um, you know, the defenses, to me, could have had a lot more stats than they did. It's a credit to both quarterbacks and both offenses that there weren't more stats in this game. I, I just find that to be really interesting. I think that's one of the keys. Um, it's, to me, that's one of the keys going into the rematch of next week is kind of that head-to-head, -head, you know, rematch, third game in four weeks coming up in, in a little bit. Um, so so that that's just more of an afterthought for me uh, 24 hours later. Ray, you had, you had a question here. You had something you wanted to bring up, right? Yeah. Uh, let's go to that offensive pass interference just real quick, maybe if you want to give an explanation. Was it a push off? Yes or no? 
I think so. Adam, let's start with you. I'm going to go with no, just because both guys are fighting. Both guys have hand contact. To me, you could call it either way, really, if you want to. But to me, it's just a good battle. You know what? Shaq Evans all battled him a little bit there and ended up with a good catch, which got negated. But to me, I don't think it's OPI. I don't think it's DPI. So to me, it's just a good battle downfield. And those are the kind of things that I kind of miss about the CFL. Uh, right? Yeah, I thought it was offensive pass interference uh, pretty pretty quickly there right after I, I initially saw it. And, you know, I if, if Glenn Suter is thinking uh, it's a penalty against the Riders, to me, that's when you know it's probably a penalty against the Riders because, you know, he's a bit of a homer at times, a uh, former Rider. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I don't know. I thought it was offensive pass interference. The more you watch the replay, the doubt starts to get in your mind. It muddies it a little bit, but I would probably still go OPI on that one. Mike? I say it's OPI only because it happened right in front of the official and he had no other choice. If he's not looking right at the play, I don't think he makes the call. If you look at the ref, he's right there. He's got to make that split, split that indecision, slide in the hand on the ground or let it go. You know, I thought it was OPI in the moment. Personally, I didn't like the challenge. Uh, worth a try, but chances are you're not going to get those 50-50 calls reversed. Can we just talk about, by the way, was this the play that Dickinson said after the game he challenged not? Was it this one or something later on that he said he challenged <laughs> not because he actually thought it was going to be overturned, but just that he wanted to back his guys and show he had confidence in them? Uh, this maybe throw this play. back to you, Trey. What do you think? What do you think of that from the coach to maybe you know waste the challenge, so to say, to try to rally his troops? Yeah, see, that's almost like it, that's around that TSN turning point kind of part. So it backfired, I think. You know, I think it gave the bombers because it went from like a big game, like it was a flip the field, like they were within the ten yard line, and then they went to like their own twenty or something, right? So yeah, I don't. <sighs> I mean, the challenge wouldn't affected that, but I think the challenge, I mean, you gave your guys a TV timeout, I guess. You gave some, like, to reset. Now you have second and long or whatever it was. And, you know, I, I don't know. I I loved it because all the Ryder fans around me are, are cheering and saying all our defensive pass interference. I'm like, no, I don't think so. And it's not because I thought it. I just, I know, to, I know that the ref does the sign real quick. I don't think anyone else ever realizes that, that you can see what the penalty is uh, before he says it. But, I don't know. It was again five, ten years ago. That's not a penalty, right? That's probably that's like Adam said. That's fair football. Uh, we've seen uh, something worse in the NFC Championship a few years ago. You know, for NFL fans, where a guy gets steamrolled and it's not even anything. So uh, it was a tough one. It was a tough one. I think that maybe that timeout could have helped somewhere else down the road. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to touch on that I forgot about for Jardo. I don't know if I've ever seen another team call audibles as much as Saskatchewan does on the line. And, and I don't know. And, and I, and two things come to mind is one is either Fajardo maybe is starting to overthink what the defense is doing. Cause he's called. And then there's so many times you could tell he got a couple of the time delays because the guys couldn't know which way he's calling. Right. And, and a couple offsides uh, are from procedures because of that. Or is that the lack of communication between a quarterback and his offensive coordinator, right? That's where I was thinking because Fajardo seemed to be, you know, 
vetoing a lot of things out there, but it also could have been the Bombers defense. But we all know the Bombers defense, like I tweeted, is holier than the Pope, right? It, they got so their Swiss cheese out there. So what are what's the auto bullying? Just keep throwing it and keep running those screens. Like it's I don't know. It was weird to me. I I don't think I've ever seen Caleros call an audible all year. And you see Fajardo do about ten a drive. Adam, what do you have anything about that? Yeah, no. From what I know, uh, Cody Fajardo does have the ability to make a tr- uh, make a call on the line, and it seems like he's doing it a lot. Actually, if you take a look at that uh, interception right at the end of the game, it was as much as Jason Moss is getting grief for it. It was Cody Fajardo calling it audible in that one that did something to cause him to make, try to make a two yard pass. Which, by the way, any professional quarterback should be able to make that pass. I agree with Doug Brown on that one because I was listening to the uh, uh, CKOB broadcast for a little bit there. But you know what? Uh, it was actually Cody Fichardo calling it audible on that one and making the pass over to Hickson instead of just handing it off to him, which would have made it about a million times more sense. So, yeah, no, uh, Cody has the ability to make those calls and he's okay. I guess Moss is okay with it, but I'm starting to wonder maybe if they need to tell uh, Cody, hey, this is the playbook, start using it. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, really quickly, uh, one of the time trial violations to me was really concerning. Uh, the opening play of a drive was one of them. Um, sorry, but I don't believe you should be taking the time down on the opening play of a drive. Um, as far as the coach needing to throw a challenge flight to stand up for his players, to me, that's a little bit concerning. Um, sounds to me a little bit like the coach is starting to maybe worried about losing the room, given everything going on. I, I don't know. It, it's just It's just funny, right? Because... I don't think you throw a challenge fight to stand up for your guys when it's, you know, pretty obvious and probably not going to be, not going to be overturned. It's, it's just interesting how, you know, that was maybe perceived amongst some, uh, but either way, it, it sets up an interesting rematch. Uh, luckily this loss did not hurt the riders in the standings uh, as far as the playoff position. Uh, there's still six up on the, well, four up on the crossover to the big tie, uh, or five up, I guess. Uh, if they tie, then it would go to the Eastern representative. So no damage done. We'll look for a good rematch on uh, Saturday afternoon. I'll give you three quick hits that I want to bring up on this game because uh, I don't think I touched on either side necessarily no. earlier on. Um, Saskatchewan, it makes me giddy to see Shaq Evans and Kyron Moore and Braden Lenius back in that offense and just the wealth of options Cody Fajardo has and the play of Frankie Hickson, who I think is playing himself into a starting role next year. And it may be with Saskatchewan. He may take that starting role from Jamal Morrow. And if not, I think there's other teams out there that are going to be taking a look at a guy like Frankie Hickson. So I'm excited to see the uh, the the riders offense you know get back on track a little bit so i like that despite the loss for them clean up some of that discipline issues sketch one could uh you know get make things interesting with a couple key divisional matchups here down the stretch on the winnipeg side of things 
how clutch is Nick Dembski? Like the team is down 11, what, 11, 14 points early in the game. He comes up with a big 50-yard touchdown. Leave it to him. He finds a way to make big plays on Labor Day. Mr. Labor Day is Nick Dembski. That was the second thing I had. And then the third one is, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have all called for all called for Mark Leggio to get cut after missing field goals a couple weeks ago in that loss to Montreal. It's almost like the guy was a 90% field goal kicker on the season besides those couple of misses there. It's almost like he's having a heck of a year and is one of the top kickers in the league. And kudos to him for making a 55-yard field goal, also making a heck of a play on a punt to dodge a punt block. Uh, you know, we'll get into players the week later on. Wouldn't be surprised if we see Mark Leggio show up in that list somewhere because uh fantastic day for him, clutch in a big game, in a close game here at the end. I know we got to move on here from this game because we've got some other ones to recap. Uh, Trey, I think you said you, you, you got to run here, right? You've, You've had a yeah. long day here, my friend. Long day and first day of school tomorrow, so I got to go to Betty Buys, boys. I'll, I'll talk to you Wednesday. Sounds good. All right, Trey, anything you want to plug before you go quickly? Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you know, uh, horse racing season's done, so don't bother me on Twitter. No, you can find me at Trey MB Harness uh, on Twitter. If uh, we'll talk some football, talk some NFL, maybe now coming up. I'm debating putting that on my bet app. Uh, maybe do all the uh, 16 games on Sunday and really ruin my uh, – my record on there but yeah dram be harness guys see you later all right thanks Trey. thanks for ta- hopping in uh good luck and, with the first Trey, just so you know i'm not gonna go away and stop uh tweeting you immersively about the game next week that's all right that's okay uh, <laughs> all right have a good night trey thanks for hopping in and uh, we'll talk to you wednesday all right and adam you're sticking around are you sticking around the rest of the way or you got to drop off as well Oh, actually, you know what? I think we're pretty much done for the night anyways in the field. So, ah, what the heck? I'll hang out with you guys for the rest of the evening here. Awesome. Well, happy to have you here as we move on to game number three of the week. Uh, Doubleheader earlier today, the Monday Labor Day doubleheader. Uh, Toronto-Hamilton, the grand finale, guys. We finally made it through the Hamilton-Toronto series, the four games in five weeks. This was number four earlier today and uh the toronto argonauts came up with the big 28 to 8 win uh another interesting football game between these two sides the biggest storyline maybe that the ticats decided to go with jamie newman as their starting quarterback this week i don't think dane evans is injured is he i think it was play-based he was the third string quarterback on the depth chart uh, Newman comes out here, 171 yards, 56% passing and interception. Not a great day for him. Gets replaced by Jalen Morton uh, later in the game who finishes the rest of the way. If you would have told me preseason that by Labor Day, Jamie Newman would be the starting quarterback with Jalen Morton, the backup, and Dane Evans, the third string, I would have said, you're nuts. I, I, I'm mystified at how things have gotten to where they are for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They are now uh, sitting in last place in the East Division standings uh, due to a tiebreaker. Ottawa's played one last game. Uh, Mike, let's go to you first. Uh, what's your take here on, on another game gone wrong for Hamilton? Yeah, you know what? I'm, I put this in the group chat. Uh, I believe uh, just stunned Hamilton's in last place. Uh, who would have thought that back-to-back East uh, Division titles and Labor Day of the third year, you're in the basement. Uh, it's, it's just remarkable. Um, 
Believe it or not, I I actually think that this reinforces one thing. But you need a solid quarterback to win in the CFL. No disrespect to Jamie Newman or anybody else that comes in to play quarterback, but the drop-off between a Matt Schultz and a Dane Evans to a Jamie Newman to uh, the backup today, it's steep. Um, the value of quarterbacks has always been reinforced, but also understood after watching today's game. Um, Hamilton's defense, to their credit, kept them in this. But guys, you can only do that for so long. Um, scary part is they're not out of it yet. Um, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, if they don't fit the most important position on the football field, and I'm not even sure how you go about that. Uh, you know, they're they're not going to be seeing the playoffs this year. And, you know, Hamilton in last place to me, not ideal. And, you know, the Ardles on the back, on the backs of their defense again. Um, nothing really to write home about in the first half. Uh, finally, in, in good Ardle form, find a way in the second half. Uh, Peters had another interception uh, to me, or two of them. I only saw one of them, but uh, that tells you what I watched today. But that being said, um, you know, this is a typical Argo win for them. You know, stay in it in the first half, find a way in the second half. And, yeah, I think the jury's still out on the Argos, to be honest. Uh their lot of a run game, I think, will come back to bite them in the butt. Uh, but that's a discussion for another day. But to me, very quickly, three and nine Hamilton. I will go out on a limb and suggest to you that Orlando Steinhauer's job is not in jeopardy because this is an admiration to what we've seen in the last two seasons. And boy, oh boy, if they could go back and redo the test of time. I think they keep Jeremiah Mazzoli over Dane Evans, but hindsight being 2020, I do not pin this on Orlando Steinhauer one iota. This is one thing gone wrong leading to another thing gone wrong leading to another thing gone wrong leading to another thing gone wrong. And I'm not nearly as concerned Long-term for Hamilton, I don't think. But uh, the jury could be out as far as the Ardles, but they just find a way to do it. But I just don't know how long they're going to be able to do it without a semblance of a running game and a defense that maybe slows down on forcing a couple turnovers. Uh, you know, a couple big, you know, 50-yard and 30-yard plays. Uh, for Brandon Banks and you know it's it's to me we to me just to wrap this game up for me this was the byproduct of teams playing four times in five weeks not much to not know about the other team a uh, couple big plays one way or another was the telltale sign and we'll see what comes in. Hamilton, but I really do not think that they should really overreact. And but this is just 
one year where everybody's kind of having a down year. It's not just one area. Ryan you know, or, or Adam, one of you want to pick up on yeah, that? No. Yeah, you know what? Uh, obviously, the big mistake was getting rid of Jeremiah Mazzoli. He was a good. He was a good quarterback in Hamilton. I uh, again, injuries I know were a little bit of an issue, but uh, he definitely was a quarterback that was stirring the drink over at Hamilton. I'm looking at this uh, team though, and they've got more problems than just the quarterback. Look at the run game. Uh, if you want to get any pressure off of your quarterback, you start running the football. When you've got a quarterback or a running back, Sean Thomas Erlington, that carries the ball three times for 39 yards, Don Jackson three times for nine yards, Jamie Newman, again, your quarterback, six times for 24 yards. This team has no, no run game. And when you have no run game, you're not going to have a very effective quarterback because most of the time he knows that he's got to rely on those de- uh, running backs to save him from taking a big hit. And when you're getting hit all the time because your running backs can't do that, you got problems. I'm looking at their uh, that if anybody right now is to blame on this, it probably is your offensive coordinator, Tommy Condell. He has just decided to heck with the run game. I'm just going to pass it and hope that it something hits. And if something does well, great. We'll try it again, I guess. It, it, it's a very, very weird offense. It hasn't worked out very well. The other guy that I'll go and give a little bit of a shot to, uh, their assistant GM, who I just don't know if he's a really good GM, Ed Hervey, is over on the Hamilton side. He didn't do much over in BC. He didn't do much in Edmonton. And now he's in Hamilton. So you know what? I have a funny feeling maybe this is something to do with it. But you never know. I just kind of was weirdly reading up their uh, their team. But definitely Tommy Condell has got to go and either drastically change something here or he's definitely going to be probably looking for some more employment. Really quickly, I'm so glad you touched on that because you wouldn't have known it was the guy's first CFL start because he got no help. Usually you put the running back and you do a couple early runs to let him settle into the game. Where was that? That was non-existent. I, I, I just, I don't get it. And I know Hamilton Tiger Cat fans to be probably the most passionate fan base in the East Division. One would, they certainly didn't sign up for a three and nine start to the season. Makes you wonder. The other to thing, me- also, also to keep in mind. Don Jackson was, I thought, a good running back from what I remember. I know Calgary Stampeders fans remember him being a fairly uh, productive running back. Where did he go in Hamilton? They've got the offensive line. They made a trade for David Beard this week. He, Yes, he was the backup this week. But you know what? He's a good, like they've got a solid, good offensive line. What's going on in Hamilton that's weird? I know the quarterback's one thing. But you should be able to establish a little bit of a run game. I know they did last few years later on in the season. But you know what? Time's a ticking, guys. And you've got a lot of big hole to get out of right now, Ryan. Is this a case of Tommy Condell just trying to get too cute with the playbook? Like you you mentioned the run game and every game, you know, Tim White gets in there. Poppy White gets in there. I mean, Jamie Newman, I kind of expected him to run quite a bit in this game. But then you've got your starting running back, which is Don Jackson. You got your backup, Sean Thomas Erlington. They each have three carries apiece. Like, 
are they trying to get too cute with the playbook with these wide receiver sweeps and that you can do them effectively, but doing them all the time is not. We've seen that with the Bombers too. Like half the time when they do those sweeps with Nick Dembski or Rashid Bailey, it ends up in disaster. Half the time it works. You can't overuse it. You use it when the timing makes sense and it doesn't seem like they have that timing down. Uh, you know, uh, it seems like this is a team that, yeah, the quarterback position, yeah, I don't really know what you do differently. Like we could say, yeah, you should have kept Jeremiah Mazzoli, but what was that going to do for them right now at this point in the season? I mean, I guess like surely they played Saskatchewan at some point earlier in the season. You have to think maybe the whole injury happens, you know, the same way, and, or maybe it's different. I don't know if he stays with Hamilton, maybe he doesn't get injured, but having him at his current state wouldn't make a difference because he ain't playing. So you know, Hamilton's been hit with some big injuries here. They don't have the depth to, I think, make up for it right now. And that's part of the problem. And I don't think the offensive game plan is helping with that either. So things are not looking good right now for the Ticats, I would say. But on the other side of things, mad credit to the Argos. Winning three times against, uh, you know, winning three of four games in five weeks is tough to do against your bitter division rivals. And they won in Hamilton on Labor Day, guys. I didn't know that was possible for Toronto to win a game in Hamilton on Labor Day. Uh, and they found a way to get it done. And maybe this is a bit of a hot take, but are the Toronto Argonauts at 6-5 and five really much of a different football team than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at 11-1? and one? Because these are two teams that have won all of their games, for the most part, in messy, messy fashion. They've been close games. They haven't played a consistent 60 minutes for the most part. You know, Winnipeg maybe has had a bit more luck. Maybe it's that championship swagger, so to say, that's carried a few of them you know, across the finish line. But I see a lot of similarities between these teams, and maybe that's more credit to the Argos than they've been getting so far. Every week it seems, yeah, things aren't looking good, and then bam, they find a way to get it done late in the game. That defense is making plays right now. Can they keep it up? I don't know, but uh, they've been playing well. McLeod Bethel Thompson's, you know, still doing all right at quarterback. I think I'm a more of a supporter of him than I think most people are. And they're finding ways. They're deep at wide receiver. They're getting AJ Olette involved in the passing game and in the rushing game. Like, I think they're doing a lot of good things. They just got to find that consistency here. Uh, Adam, I don't think you've touched on the Argos here yet. Uh, what do you What do you think of uh, this one from Toronto? And uh, am I way off base with my take that they're the Bombers of the East? Well, think about it, really. They've got, uh, on paper, before you can't call any injury here, uh, they have probably one of the best run games probably in the league with the combination of if Andrew Harris wasn't hurt, Harris and Ouellette, both of them are very good running game, uh, running backs. Uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson is a very similar quarter to Zach Kalaros. Uh, throws the odd more interception, uh, but can turn it on in the fourth quarter just like Zach Kalaros. You've got a guy like Hurley Gittins Jr., who's been a great uh, receiver for a long time. Uh, you could probably compare him over and compare him something along the lines of Janarian Grant. You could, it, it's a very similar team, to be honest with you, especially on the offensive side and on the defensive side of the ball. They are the old Winnipeg Blue Bombers in a way because they've got those uh, defensive ends and they've got that line core that can really make some interceptions and make some moves happen. In the backfield. So to me, I think the Toronto Argonauts aren't far from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, other than a couple bounces and a couple of interceptions. Uh, and take a look at today. 
Winnipeg has not really gotten Greg Ellickson going for the last few weeks, but he's been hurt. All of a sudden today, it's the same thing over Toronto. Brandon Banks comes out, has two touchdowns today, and absolutely goes and smashes his old team in the face and says, I told you you shouldn't have got rid of me. So you expected it sometime this uh, during these four games. Finally, it happened today. So to me, yeah, the Argonauts are not that far from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But mind you, I don't think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are kind of on that cloud of I'm 11 to 1, I'm the best team. Yes, you've got the best record. Are you the best team, though? Eh, we're, you know what? That's There's been a lot of very uh, fortunate things for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that have happened. That being said, you got to be good to be lucky and lucky to be good. They're a good team, but so, are they the best? I, I have a challenge for you, Adam. Sure, what do you got? If you, if you say Winnipeg isn't the best team in the league, then who is? I didn't say they're not the best, but are they way better in an league of their own? No, I'm not, I'm not saying age? that either, but I'm just wondering, right? Because if you say Winnipeg's record doesn't necessarily dispute the way they're playing, I would agree with that. But I, I'm just wondering who you see as that overall well-rounded team. I don't think there is one. But, there but, isn't. but I'm also no. wondering if lead wide there is none. No, there isn't. I don't think there at, is at you all. What the most well well rounded team of anybody uh, until the injury was BC. Uh, to be honest, uh, they had the receivers, they had the running back, they had the quarterback, they have a defense that's second to none. Uh, they've got secondary in there for big help. Uh, other than maybe you could even even them, you could criticize their special teams a little bit. But other than that, I think the BC Lions were the most complete team. Did they win the most games? No. But I, like I say, probably it would be BC for me until Nathan Rourke got taken out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think across the league this year that we've seen a, a lot of average football teams. And uh, as we get more into those divisional matchups down the stretch, I think we're going to see standings that pretty much even out across the board. I think these are going to be tight divisional standings as we go down the stretch here. Let's move on to our final game of the week. The Edmonton Elks and the Calgary Stampeders. Edmonton going into Calgary, and the Stamps taking this one 26-18, a game uh, where Jake Mayer gets his second straight start for Calgary, uh, and he gets his first win of the season here. Uh, Didn't look pretty for a lot of the game, I would say, for for Calgary. Uh, We didn't expect this one to necessarily be a close match, based on the previous matchups between these two teams. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, credit to Edmonton for for putting up a solid game here. I didn't expect much out of Edmonton in this game, I'll be honest. Uh, with no Kenny Waller, with no Manny Arsenault, you're looking at a wide receiving, a starting lineup of wide receivers that had uh, Darrell Walker, Dylan Mitchell, Kyle Oxley, who's also a quarterback, Vincent uh, forbes Montblow. Uh, who I believe was playing his first career game. Jalen Marshall, I don't even remember if he was slated to start or if he was the backup. Like, a a lot of these guys, you know, we haven't really heard a lot of these names. Kevin Brown making his first start at running back, and you've got Taylor Cornelius still a somewhat unproven quarterback. So, to me, I was expecting the, the, the Stamps to win this one by 20 potentially in this game. So, I'm I'm impressed. I'm surprised by the Elks here. Uh, Adam, what's your take on uh, Edmonton? Yeah, falling short here, but uh, scrapping out a, an effort here nonetheless. 
I mean, I think of uh, hashtag small victories because that's all you can do right now in Edmonton is essentially just uh, pick out those little positives. Uh, this week here, uh, you had a few little positives in this one. Again, you had more yards than the Calgary Stampeders, 331 to 305. Uh, you had the time of possession, which was very good for you. You did very well there, Edmonton. Uh, even the uh, quarterback situation here, two touchdowns by Kaylor Cornelius, no interceptions. That's that's a positive. That's all you can look for right now because you know that these guys are mostly auditioning for jobs right at this point. And you look at a guy like Taylor Cornelius, he's fighting to even have a chance to be the quarterback moving forward in Edmonton with a guy like Trey Ford possibly coming off of the injured list. Well, as soon as Chris Jones could get him off the injured list. One thing, though, that I want to bring up with the Edmonton Elks, can we move on from Deron Carter already? I mean, the guy's getting burned. He's getting beat out there. He doesn't look good. He doesn't look like he used to. I don't know if this motivational talk is what he needs, but I mean, he, he every play, uh, Malik Henry was all over it and looked great today against uh, Deron Carter. So to me, you got a guy that just is not there anymore. They need to do some work on their secondary a little bit in Edmonton. They got a lot of work to do. And I mean, they're continually changing and rotating and rotating and changing. You don't get any continuity out of the Elks. So to me, I think, you know, you could take some positives out of this game in the long run. Jake Mayer is a good quarterback and he proved it again today. A good quarterback will win you a game in a gritty way in a solid way. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that Edmonton could take some positives out of this one. I still think that they need to find a running back as well. Uh, Milanovic leader, uh, i got to just take a look here real quick. Uh, actually wasn't even in this game. Oh, yeah, he was. Uh, two for three yards. And then uh, Kevin Brown had 45 yards and five carries. Got to get that run game going if you want to help out Taylor Cornelius quite a little bit. I mean, he ran the ball a little bit as well, five for 16. He's been running more and seemed to be more effective. Now he's not running the ball again. So there's some little things like that also in Edmonton. But you got to remember, you didn't have Kenny Lawler this week. You were missing some other pieces in your offense. Uh, you traded away David Beard for some reason. I'm still trying to figure that one out. For another uh, offensive lineman even, right? Like it, it was not like it was to upgrade somewhere else. It was for another offensive lineman. And that's where I want to jump in here and send it over to you, Mike, is, uh, you know, uh, Chris Jones, he made that trade for uh, that offensive lineman trade. He also made a defensive side of the ball trade with Montreal, where I believe he traded two pieces for one. I forget the exact details. But we're at Labor Day and Chris Jones is making trades that aren't really improving his football team. The roster is looking as thin as ever. Is Chris Jones, Mike, has he just phoned it in for this season at this point already? And is he already prepping for next year and just letting guys go out there and play and audition for jobs for next year at this point? Mike? Yeah, you know what? It's very interesting. Um, sorry, I lost, you, lost my train of thought there for, for one second. <laughs> I had something in the uh, group chat. It was pretty comical. But uh, that being said, uh, you know, close but no cigar for Edmonton. Uh, I I think here, um, you know, we what we want to talk about one of the more well-rounded uh, teams in the CFL. That would be the Calgary Stampeders. Um, I have to wonder if this is a team peaking at the right time. Time will tell. Three matches are next week, so 
But you, you have to like what you saw in that second half. Uh, it was uh, 8-7, I think, at halftime for Edmonton. Uh, you know, turning it on, getting a couple touchdowns. Uh, one of which was just completely ridiculous uh, on the part of uh, Edmonton with Cornelius running around for his life. And then he sees somebody at the back of his head, uh, with eyes at the back of his head to make that throw. Uh, the two throws to Reggie Badleton uh, on Mayer's part, uh, one of them threading a needle. Uh, oh, boy. Was that all kinds of uh, beautiful over there? So, you know what? I, I, I think, guys, this game went as expected uh, with a lot of these Labor Day games. You know, slow start, a um, little bit of offense, but I think at the end of the day, the team that had the most depth ultimately prevailed. Um, and, you know, I, I think now you're getting to the point, guys, where games go as expected given for the most part teams play the way they we know they can uh there's no secrets anymore we know who these teams are um it really begins you know the fun side of the schedule i say year after year uh you know the season doesn't start till labor day which is fair and now who's going to be the one to go on that run but, you know, strikes a little bit of fear into those top teams. Not, I'm, and, guys, I'm not even discounting that East Division. Uh, it's somebody that's hot, you're going to finish in first. Somebody that's hot, you're going to get in the playoffs. It's, it's that simple. And then once you're in the dance, three wins, wins you a great cup, four in second. Um, and then, you know, the first place teams are going to have to win one game at home against the semifinal winner here. Like, there's no sugarcoating who is going to miss the playoffs and who is going to make the playoffs at this point. I think that's a given. Uh, I think even the crossover is a bit more decided right now. I think it was uh, Calgary moving two points up on... Uh, Two or four points up on Saskatchewan uh, today, but two points. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been the contenders rise to the top, and the I don't want to say pretenders move to the bottom, but this is where the top usually starts to rise as the teams start to get with importance. And one other thing too that's interesting. As the weather changes, so does the style of football change. And now we're going to see a premium, I think, put on the running games as the weather gets cooler into the fall. So just one quick question for you guys, and I want to see if this is really just a hot take or if this is actually something that could possibly happen. Oh. And I know that you guys are going to be interested in this one. And this one really involves the previous uh, team that we just talked about, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And the winner of this game, the Calgary Stampeders. Does Hamilton pull the pin on a major trade and get Bo Levi Mitchell, who they love to sling the ball over at Hamilton? There's a guy that likes to sling the ball just as much. Uh, do they take and roll the dice and uh, take that big salary off of Calgary's hands and say, okay, we'll take Bo for the rest of the season? 
I mean, I great, crazy thought, but just what do you guys think of that? I, I think Hamilton should maybe inquire about it. I don't think Calgary does it. I think Calgary, we're talking about Jake Mayer, who's had five career starts now. He's looked good in his five career starts. I think it's five. Yeah. But we're talking five career starts. You've got a guy who, yes, is, is, is tre- his play has trended vastly downwards here over the past couple of years. But you still have that history of Bo Levi Mitchell. You have a guy who's used to playing football and despite not necessarily at as high of a level anymore, still finds a way to do enough to help his team win games. So especially after we saw Nathan Rourke go down due to injury and then BC had to go make that trade. If I'm Calgary, I'm not trading Bo Levi Mitchell. I, I'm, I'm making Jake Mayer my quarterback going into next season, but I'm keeping Bo as my backup the rest of the way here. And could things get interesting if Bo stays on the bench and Bo doesn't like being on the bench? Does he, you know, say, hey, there's a team that could use a starter or give me a chance? I don't know. Uh, I think that's unlikely given his relationship with Dave Dickinson, but I, I think you keep Bo Levi Mitchell. We're talking about a 7-4 and four Calgary team that's only lost games to Winnipeg and BC. Three to Winnipeg, one to BC so far. They've won the rest of their games. Now it's getting a crunch time down the stretch for them where they're probably going to make that West playoff spot uh, in the top three in the West. Who are they going to have to beat when they get to the playoffs? Winnipeg and BC. And that's the most intriguing thing for me for Calgary is good football team that hasn't been able to beat the teams ahead of them yet, but has found a way to win the other games. So I like Jake Mayer, of course, as a starter. I wasn't as impressed this time. I think his first half, he struggled here a little bit more. But uh, all in all, I, I think he's a guy that uh, it can be the number one down the stretch, but you got to have Bo as that insurance policy. Mike? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, right? I, I like the plot here, Adam. I, I just I, I see that as a one, a trade that benefits one team, and that's the team that's getting the better position in the trade and getting the quarterback. Um, also, I think it would be for for an asset, but you could really use long-term. Um, however, I think you're opening up a completely different discussion. If this is mid-February, and should Hamilton go after Boldy by Mitchell? Okay, you know what? If we're having this discussion in February, I think the answer is a resounding yes. But as we've seen, injuries change things in the dynamic. And that I'm going to call it right here right now. We haven't seen the last of Bully by Mitchell and Calgary. That there's something's going to happen where Bull's going to come off the bench and needs to be a very important part of this part of this uh, situation. The only thing that I will maybe suggest is uh, if if you can get something if you're Calgary that'll help you fortify that that. Uh, um, you know, that backup quarterback spot. And it really depends what you think about, you know, the third string guy on the depth chart and Tommy Stevens. But, yeah, Jake Mayer to Tommy Stevens in a playoff game, <laughs> I'm not liking that too much. My Jake Mayer to Bowley by Mitchell, okay, that, that, that gives me a chance, right? And, you, you know, I look at Calgary as being – this scary team that would really scare me if I'm a Bomber fan, just from the standpoint of, okay, now I'm going to flip it this way. You played 
BC with Nathan Warren. You haven't seen BC without him. The other side of this is you played three one-possession games with Winnipeg where one good play uh, and you're going to win that game. So, yeah, again, I, I would I make the call from Hamilton? Absolutely. You're doing yourself a disservice if you don't. But whether you pick up the phone and you can put a package together that helps Calgary address an immediate need as a backup quarterback, not sure unless you want to put Dane Evans in that package, which to me would open up a discussion of interesting. But if I knew Calgary, if I knew Calgary would get in a quarterback bat to offset the loss of Bull, I would probably do it. But other than that, um, you know, you, you're still trading, in my mind, the best player in the trade. And it's hard to win it. The team that trades the best player in any trade rarely wins the trade. Unless you're the Calgary Flames who, you know, had an offseason that looked like their team was burning and they somehow flipped it into a royal flush. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe Hoffnado can... Uh, can phone his buddy Tree Living down the street, same ownership group, but uh, no, I, I I think you picked up the phone, but I really don't think that discussion uh, goes very far. However, in February, if Hamilton was to say, okay, second round pick coming your way for the negotiation rates to Bully by Mitchell, absolutely. The other side of this is salary. Calgary has no real reason to dump the bully by Mitchell salary when it's coming off the books anyway in a couple months. So I, so that that that's that long-winded answer. Of uh, given the current circumstances, no. Maybe if there was a year left on the contract, yes. But I I would be a I I like the thought, and if I'm Hamilton, I'd do it. But I don't like it if I'm if I'm Calgary. So you're telling me that they should be phoning a certain uh, GM down in Florida and see if they can make a trade for an older quarterback down there. Yeah, I hear no. Tom. I hear Tom Brady's available. <laughs> you know I'm what the, the heck? Kind of, sort of, maybe, but uh, no, no. I, I, I've been guys. Uh, you know, I think even this this notion of Fajardo being traded is or being cut has or being benched. It's kind of quieted down the last two weeks. Um, yeah. like Cody, you know, Cody, Cody's had enough of the two games now that he's done enough that he probably will be okay. Uh, the only guy that I could really see this actually maybe making a trade for uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, the aforementioned, and like I said, Hamilton. And Edmonton seems to trade every week, so you never know. They might just try to throw one in there too. And do, you hey, think I make- Chris, do you think Chris Jones could put his ego aside enough to tr- go out and call about a trade for Bo Levi Mitchell? Yeah, I do, because here's my thing. I think that he would rather have Bo Levi Mitchell than he would have Taylor Cornelius, who'd make a great backup for Calgary, right? And he could also sweeten the pot with a Kenny Lawler. And something else that Calgary might just drool over and say, that's a playoff player, we could use him. But why are you you making this trade if you're Edmonton? Bo is a free agent after this season. 
You could potentially throw the money at him in free agency. I don't know if he's necessarily a guy you're trading some assets potentially away for to go in and get in free agency at this point in his career. There's so many problems. I don't think Bo solves it. Well, Taylor Cornelius and Kenny Lawler are one one-year contracts. That's why That's I'm true. saying they're, yeah. they're available just as much as Bo Levi would be. It's showing to Bo Levi that, hey, we want you. And we want you bad enough that we'll make a trade to get you this year and get you started to be acclimated with our new team. So that's at least something to get the guys in the stands or something back to yeah. like maybe do something like that. But again, yeah, right. I don't see this making sense. The discussion, Adam, I, I, I understand the standpoint, but get them acclimated with what team? Chances are you're going to have 35 new guys in there anyway. So. Fair. We know how crystals operate. It's, to me, though, what I think is really interesting, if you're one of those teams in the West, is some of those defensive players that Hamilton has. Now, if you want to look at a Simone Lawrence in Winnipeg, if you want to look at a Dylan Wynn, if you want to look at a, a Mason Bennett type or something of that nature, um. Sure, like let us have a discussion about it if you are serious about a rebuild. Granted, Hamilton could be looking at this and saying, you know what, two, three wins, we have enough division wins, uh, enough division games coming up, but we can override this. Maybe we give Dane Evans another go and just get in the playoffs and let's see what happens. I don't think Bo Levi Mitchell's getting traded. I, no. I still stand by that. But I love I love the discussion, Adam, and I love the the ideas because it's fun to debate things like this and hey, what it would hey, mean and I what just, it would take to get it done. I just want a trade deadline show. Is that so much to ask for? <laughs> hey, Chris Jones, Danny Machocha, uh, they may they may keep us busy. We'll see uh, as we get towards the trade deadline sometime in October. I believe it is. Uh, but those are that's it for the games here for week number 13, Labor Day weekend, a fantastic Labor Day weekend in the CFL. Uh, let's take a look at uh, the CFL Fantasy League results here for this week. Uh, we, uh, Adam, Trey, and I, we play in the CFL Podcast Fantasy League every week, going head to head with a number of other podcasters from around the CFL, and uh, this week, uh, Adam, you had the bye week. Uh, did you enjoy your week off? You know, it it was a it was a very challenging week because I didn't know what Bai was going to play, and I was very nervous about what Bai was going to do. So I had to be very much on my game here. And I mean, I think my results speak for themselves. Uh, still seventy three points this week, which was not terrible, bad. But uh, yeah, I had a good week with Frankie Hickson in there. Uh, Jake Mayer gave me some good points at the end here. Same thing with Shaq Evans, and also Malik Henry gave me some good points. Uh, yeah, Brady Linius didn't get the football very much, and uh, probably I shouldn't have picked a Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense, but that was only just to piss off or to annoy Trey. So, you know, there's that. So I didn't even realize you picked the Bombers defense. That's great. Um, Trey, unfortunately, did fall to Mike from Potsky Wee Wee this week, uh, who put up the top score of the week. So Trey put up a respectable 80.4 points himself, but tough matchup this week. Uh, I did manage to beat Steve from the Piffles podcast uh, to pull out a win this week myself. So I improved to 11 and two. Adam, you still sit at seven and five with a bye week. Trey is at seven and six. All three of us 
in the top eight spots, currently in a playoff spot four weeks ago in the season. You can follow all of the action at CFL Pod Fantasy on Twitter. Uh, meanwhile, we're continuing to go through our season-long fantasy here on the podcast, and uh, we did our draft preseason. Lots of moves are being made every single week. And uh, we had a, well, he's not here to celebrate, unfortunately, but our winner of the week is none other than Team Trey, who put up 93.9 points. Nick Dembski hit over 20, Reggie Bagleton hit over 20, Trevor Harris, AJ Olette, each putting up 16 as well. So big week for Trey uh, this week. Uh, I did come in second at 70 points myself. Uh, Eugene Lewis, Tim White, Jake Mayer, my biggest performers there. Uh, Mikey came in third at 55.5. Biggest performers, Malik Henry, uh, Zach Claros at 16.6. Malik Henry and Dalton Schoen also putting up around 11 and 12 points. Uh, your thoughts on your performance this week, Mike? Yeah, down week for Team Jail, but we had spent the rebound now, but BC's off their final bye. So uh, I have to make a roster move this week because I'm activating Shaq Evans. Advanced warning. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what kind of roster move I'm cooking up over there. But, uh, no, it was a down week, unfortunately. But looking to rebound this week, I seem to have this one good week, one bad week, one good week, one one bad week vibe going on. So, Do you live in Toronto by any chance? Sorry? Do you live in Toronto by any chance? Quite possibly. Who knows? There might be a throne of myself over there. And me and the might be having a discussion. You might have to do like Ryan does and just flip a coin. It seems to work for him. We'll get into we'll get into that one shortly here. Uh, Adam, but I'm happy you're here tonight so I can grill you on this one. Uh, you know, looking at your roster, you put up you fell just short of Mike. You put up fifty-three point seven points this week. But just as important it as it is to check the depth charts each week. It's also important to check your own lineup. Adam, you had two guys in there from the BC Lions who were on a bye week this week. The rest of your roster played out pretty well. And my collab, Bethel Thompson, put up 15.9. Frankie Hicks and Brett Lowther put up big performances. But what are you doing here? Let's put it this way. It's called being in a field way, way too long. Um, so for that reason, I fired the uh, guy dressed up in a football and I am moving on to a orange feline. So we're going to try that and see if that works now uh, for my spirit animal or for the guy that I'm asking for advice this week. I love it. I love it. At uh, least you haven't hired Dana as your assistant general manager yet. Oh, no, he's been fired already at once, yeah. Hey, you're not supposed to say the guy's name. That was just this prairie gopher that I was asking for advice. <laughs> so, so far, I've asked for a prairie go- from a prairie gopher. I've asked for some lumberjack. I uh, also asked two crows for advice. Uh, then I went over and asked the football for advice uh, that had green and yellow uh, writing on it. Now I'm asking for an orange feline for advice. So I don't know what I'm doing, to be honest with you. We have to question <laughs> your circles of advice then, Adam. They're very quiet. I don't know why. Uh, overall totals on the season, uh, I'm in first at 1251.7. Mike, you're at 1074.8. Adam, a little bit behind that at 1006.6. And Trey uh, is at 883. Uh, but making that second half comeback, again, lots of season left here to play. You never know what's going to happen down the stretch here. Let's move on and talk 
about our betting results for the week powered by BetStamp. BetStamp, a uh, free app that helps you uh, make the most out of your online betting wagers by uh, helping you find the best odds across different sports books. You can learn more at betstamp.app and sign up with referral code CFC. Uh, this week, uh, in terms of our picks, again, Wednesday night preview show, Adam, Trey, myself, we make our weekly picks. Uh, Adam and I both went three and one this week. Trey had, unfortunately, a one and three week. Uh, Adam and I hit on Ottawa plus four and a half, Saskatchewan plus four and a half, Toronto plus one. We did miss on Calgary at uh, minus 12.5. Uh, Trey did pick Montreal at minus four and a half and Winnipeg at minus three and a half uh, here. So uh, overall totals on the season, 29 and 22 for both myself and Trey. I have caught up to first place. I am making my way towards that first place in the uh, in our little betting league here. And Adam, you're, you're right behind at 27 and 24. Pretty good week for you and I. It's just that darn spread up from the Stampeders, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to expect Calgary to get 12 and a half points over the Edmonton Elks during uh, Labor Day, don't you? I mean, it always happens that way. Uh, Actually, I was looking later on in in there and I seen a bet at 17 and a half points. So I don't think anybody had very much confidence in Edmonton. So yeah, kudos to the Elks. They played a good game and they, uh, they cost us our uh, uh, perfect streak here, but uh, you know what? No, good on him. Uh, so does this mean, Trey, or Ryan, you get to take over as Reddit as an embedding expert for this week? No, no. that That's still Trey's job. I can't do everything here, Adam. What do you think I am? I, like, well, I'm just here for my looks. I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, good week for us. The coin flip worked. I, I flipped the coin on Toronto Hamilton. That one worked out for me. Uh, it's just that dang spread. I, I knew that 12 and a half was too big on Calgary, but Hey, a good week for us. And that also meant a good week for our consensus picks over on the bet stamp, uh, where we track them over on the bet stamp app, uh, at CF countdown pod is the username there. You can find it uh, and track our picks all season. We went three and one this week as well. It's just that Calgary game. We got wrong. So, uh, overall, if you put 10 bucks down on each of the games, uh, we would have netted $16 out of that so i'm uh, not bad with our consensus picks for this week and you can follow our results there or you can follow us on twitter at cf countdown pod there also to see our picks every week and trey tweets out our individual ones at trey mb harness now let's get into our players of the week here uh which mike are you able to do you have those ready to pull up on the on the screen here I can. I had a brief technical difficulty, but I can get those up momentarily. I can try to do it here as well. I think I have it. Let me see. Um, there we go. And pulling it up on the screen. And there we go. Our week 13 players of the week. And we start off with Mr. Adam Stewart. Adam, who's your player of the week this week? Well, I've got Mr. Brandon Banks of the Toronto Argonauts went into Hamilton, which let's face it, I think it's been what eight in a row that they've lost in Hamilton, uh, Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, two catches, 80 yards. I believe he had two touchdowns, didn't he? One was a rushing play, I believe. Ah, well, okay, fair enough. Uh, but anyways, Brandon Banks had a great game against his old team. Looked real good. Finally got to say to his old team, you made a mistake. 
kudos to the man. He's had hasn't had a great week all week, uh, but finally has had a pretty good week. Also, an honorable mention to Duke Williams for absolutely handing a game over to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this week. Don't ever do that again, or else you're going to find yourself looking at aisle seats on the next plane out of Saskatchewan. Mike, who do you got this week? Oh, my player of the week is a guy that everybody wanted cut in Winnipeg after our one loss this season. Uh, Thomas to made a couple of point afters after Winnipeg touchdown. Makes an interesting looking field goal. And then Michael Shea sends him out from the 55-yard line. Against all odds, he makes the field goal. Yes, and that deserves my player of the week. Because since the bye week, he has been rock solid. When everybody was wondering, how is Mark Lydio going to do after the bye week? Is he going to overthink things? Nope. He's going to pick up right where he left off, and he gets my player of the week. And Ryan has a little bit of an unconventional player of the week because Nathan Ward is injured, so he has to take another quarterback. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, well, first up, I just want to touch on Mark Leggio and that decision to kick that 55-yard field goal. With Mario Alford, one of the top returners in the league, waiting back there when Leggio has, correct me if I'm wrong, never kicked that far uh, in hostile territory in a close game is an absurd decision to me that, that worked out for the Bombers, but gave me flashbacks of Banjo Bowl couple years oh that must have been a number of years ago that kendall lawrence i think it was return touchdown late in the game that uh that turned the tide in that one i i i, I was worried man going to that kick so kudos to mark legio for getting that one done you live by speaking the legio, of, you uh, by the legio. <laughs> speaking of banjo bowl real quick i can't get the willie jefferson double pitch sits out of my head still years later Yep, yep. There's uh, there's been a lot of memorable ones, and we'll uh, see if we get another one next week. But yeah, you mentioned I, I went quarterback again this week. I went Nick Arbuckle for my player of the week. 20 of 31, 313 yards. I believe the most efficient quarterback in terms of yardage all week out of all of them. I could be slightly wrong on that, uh, but last I checked, he was. One touchdown, zero interceptions. Arbuckle had such a bad just string of uh, not really getting the opportunities I think he should have. And he got shipped over to Ottawa. He finally got into the starting lineup. He's won two games in a row here now, and he put up another solid performance again this week. Could he be the piece Ottawa needs to turn it around, make a run into the playoffs? And who knows where they go from there. So... I got to give some love to Nick Arbuckle. I've been waiting for him to get his chance again. Chris Jones wasn't giving it to him in Edmonton, shipped him off to Ottawa, and now he's won two games in a row here. So kudos to you, Nick Arbuckle. Uh, And it was really a toss-up between Arbuckle and uh, another guy who I'm happy Trey took his his player of the week because uh, otherwise I'd give him an honorable mention myself. Jalen Acklin of the Red Blacks, also monster game for him. Seven catches, 10 targets, 159 yards for Jalen Acklin, who had a couple quiet weeks there after being the leading receiver, uh, you know, throughout the first chunk of the season. Now he seems to be dialed in with Nick Arbuckle, and that means good things for that Red Blacks offense. So 
big week for a couple of Ottawa players that definitely deserve a nod here in our players of the week. Let's move on to our power rankings for week number 13. I will be up first here. I've got Winnipeg at number one, BC at two, Calgary three, Toronto four, Saskatchewan five, Ottawa six, Montreal seven, Hamilton eight, and Edmonton nine. Now I'm actually breaking my conventional rule here of not moving a team uh, up or down on their bye week because uh, I had BC at number one, uh, which I only had the week before because I couldn't move Winnipeg up or down because they were on a bye week. Um, so now it's just getting into a mess with that. And I, Winnipeg's 11 and one at this point in the season, they deserve to be number one in the rankings. I still think BC can compete with the best of them. I like that Vernon Adams jr. Trade. So I put them at number two, uh, Calgary again, seven and four haven't beaten the teams above them. So that's why they sit number three for me, Toronto. Uh, they won three of four. They won the season series with Hamilton. They're first in the East. Again, I think they show some resemblance to that Bombers team. And uh, so I like Toronto at number four. Saskatchewan, close game with Winnipeg. I still think they're getting better. If they can clean some stuff up, they could cause some havoc here. I like them at number five. Ottawa, two-game win streak, deserves spot number six for me. And Montreal comes in at number seven. Big loss to Ottawa this week. Uh, but... I think these other two teams are in more of a dire situation, which is Hamilton at number eight. I put them ahead of Edmonton because Hamilton can still climb back into the playoffs here in the East, whereas Edmonton, it's looking like it's next year mode, and Chris Jones is already planning for that. So I've got them at number nine. Uh, Mike, let's uh, let's see. What do you have here for your power rankings? Yeah, I have uh, Winnipeg, BC, Calgary, Toronto, Ottawa, Saskatchewan, Montreal, Hamilton, and Edmonton. Keeping true to my word, but I can't move a team off a bye. Could probably flip-flop two and three. Some discussion, as always, between four and seven. Eight and nine seem to be really changing. Uh, my mood seems to really be souring around the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate, right? Because it's just the way it goes to Saskatchewan. You know what? I... We'll say that's about the Riders. Without their discipline issues, they have a world-class defense, a championship defense. I think one of the best in the league. I think their offense, when healthy, is one of the best in the league. Problem is they keep shooting themselves in the foot. And for that, I can't really reward undisciplined uh, play. Uh, so they they move to number six or stay at number six. That's can't remember where I had them uh, last week, but Montreal, I keep saying this is going to be a team that goes on a run. And then they have that performance that is like, I don't even know where it came from. It just makes no sense. Uh, Ottawa, obviously the biggest mover in my power ranking. Now winners of two straight, like I said earlier in the show. Uh, set up for a battle with first place Toronto on Saturday afternoon. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. So there's still a lot of movement. Uh, there's a, it seems to be a consensus among the top three, uh, which is understandable. But uh, yeah, we will uh, see what happens. And Adam uh, has disappeared. Just in time for his power rankings. There, we'll give him a chance to reload. There we go. Uh, Adam, you are on with your power rankings, which 
to me, when I was putting this slide together, kind of caught my attention because you have a new number nine on yeah. your list. Yeah, no, we'll get to them right away. I mean, Winnipeg. Yeah, go, is, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, we'll get to them in a moment here. But uh, yeah, Winnipeg is number one. I mean, they have to be. It's the only team that has only one loss. Uh, Calgary's number two. I think Jake Mayer is keeping them right there. BC, they could go lower here. I want to see how they play next week. I, I had them at three last week because of the bye. So I'll leave them at three for this week again. But uh, I've got my eye focused on BC pretty heavily this week to see what happens between VA and Michael O'Connor over there. Uh, Saskatchewan, number four. They did play pretty good. Actually, very good. And kind of gave the Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans a little bit more of an edge of the seat experience than probably what the Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans wanted. But nevertheless... Uh, still didn't win and still undisciplined. They can't go any higher than four right now. Uh, Toronto, number five. They've been playing some good football, as have the Ottawa Red Blacks, who moved way up on my list this week because I really want to see them in the East semifinals against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders just for the chaos. Anyways, uh, we'll go on. And the old Rough Rider, Rough Riders feel, right? Well, that'd be fun too, but I mean, I want to see what happens if Garrett Marino even makes the field, if he gets near, uh, if he even is allowed in Ottawa for this case, but nevertheless. You're assuming he won't be suspended again by then. Well, fair. Uh, nevertheless, yeah, that, that's actually a good point. Anyway, uh, we'll move on here. Montreal's number seven. They got to get the discipline issues fixed as well, and they can't lose games to teams that they should beat. Ottawa is one of those teams that uh, they had a bye week. They should have beat Ottawa, no question. They didn't. So they go down to number seven. Edmonton put more of an effort today than the Hamilton Tiger Cats did. That's why the Edmonton Elks get my number eight spot. Hamilton, this was a game that you needed badly against the Toronto Argonauts. You can't keep losing against the East and hope to make the playoffs. If you have any hope of making the playoffs, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal have to be on your top of mind and you have to play your best game against those three teams. If you don't, you're not making the playoffs. And right now, Hamilton is just playing uninspired football. They're going to hit number nine for this week just because of that. Let's take a look at what Trey has for his rankings. His were actually exactly the same as mine, so we seem to be on the same page with that. Of course, if you want to hear his logic for it, you can tweet him at TreyMBHarness. Uh, guys, I think that does it here for week number 13. Uh, what a Labor Day weekend in the CFL. Some very intriguing games this weekend. Uh, uh, always fun. And then we get a lot of rematches and interesting matchups to come in the week ahead, which we will preview here Wednesday night on the podcast. Adam, Trey, and myself will be here to preview week number 14, Banjo Bowl included. So I'm sure there will be some more fun antics and uh uh, pot shots sent back and forth uh, to one another as, with maybe, that. Maybe somebody will arrive in a banjo and start playing the banjo on the podcast if somebody has a banjo. I do not, and I am musically challenged, so I will leave that to one of you to be in charge of that. <laughs> Funny how it pops up at random times. I don't know how that happens here in Saskatchewan. <laughs> Gotta go ask Troy Westwood. Wow, you're ready to go for that one. That was great. Uh, yeah, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time, 8 p.m. Saskatchewan. Uh, other time zones accordingly. We will be back here streaming on all the different platforms with our week 14 preview. We'll take a look at the storylines, fantasy, 
and uh, make our picks against the spread there as well. And then uh, the following Monday, we'll be back same time uh, to recap all of the events of week number 14, just like we did here tonight. Of course, you can catch that uh, over on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. Just search the Canadian Football Countdown on any of those platforms, all made possible by our presenting sponsor, Game Time TV. Learn more at facebook.com slash GameTimeTVMV. You can also catch the show over on the Game Time TV YouTube page there. Also, uh, you can follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at CF Countdown Pod. Make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well at CF Pod Network. Uh, guys, where can people find everything you've got going on? Let's start with you, Mike. Yeah, just a couple of quick notes here on the way out before I give my uh, Twitter account, if that's okay. I want to give a shout-out to some Canada West football that started their opening weekend. Just got a note from Canada West. Uh, Saskatchewan's Mason Nias is earned the Player of the Week. The reason that name sounds so familiar is he is uh, he is uh, uh, viewed as one of the most complete quarterbacks in Canada. A lot of people suggesting that team like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, should go have a look. Uh, Regina Rams had two uh, special uh, special teams and defensive player of the week: Anthony Bennett on defense and Ryder Videra on special teams. Uh, the Rams with a win over the Calgary Dinos. And, of course, Mason Nias uh, leading the University of Saskatchewan to an upset here at IG Field over the Manitoba Bison. So that's your weekly Canada West uh, recap. So watch for that throughout the year. Best of luck to all six teams. It just goes to show the preseason polls should be thrown in the garbage uh, because the Rams were scheduled to be in last place uh, for the preseason polls and look what happened. Uh, other programming notes quickly. Next Monday, uh, the show will be preempted off of the Game Time TV YouTube pages. We made way for some Game Time programming. The show will air on a tape delay on the Game Time YouTube channel uh, next Tuesday sometime. So, Check out the regular channels for next week's, next Monday show uh, over on the Canadian Football Account on YouTube and all the other channels. Uh, we'll make an announcement as to when that uh, tape delayed version will air on the Game Time TV YouTube channel sometime uh, next Tuesday. So now with that out of the way, you can find me on Twitter at MyDarrell. In the comments, somebody fired up for Wednesday Night Hockey. We get things started. Uh, with the Winnipeg Blues, Winnipeg Freeze over on Game Time Radio on Wednesday night. Preseason hockey. Bill Christians and Tyler Peters will have the call. All the links and stuff will be on my Twitter later in the week at my show. I know that was a long preamble, but Finn's uh, getting a little bit exciting. Awesome, Mike. Finn's getting uh... a little bit exciting here uh, in the office this week. It's like a week before Christmas, but it's not Christmas. Good night, everybody. Awesome, Mike. Uh, yeah, exciting times with the hockey seasons kicking up for you here, and uh, I know you're going to be a busy man in the next little while, so uh, good luck with all of that, and uh, of course, we're happy to have you here 
on the, this Monday night here as well. Uh, Adam, where can people find everything you've got going on right now? Well, yeah, we've got a lot going on right now with harvest going on, with seas swathing going on, and with everything else going on. You can find me at Adam Stewart One. Uh, most times, better yet, though, take a look over my Instagram page. It's at Farmer in Sask. You'll find a heck of a lot of good photos of uh, combines, combines breaking down, combines warming up, all sorts of problems with combines. If you enjoy that, uh, also there's some good swathing photos some grain bin photos. I don't know. I got a lot of farm photos right now. Uh, but I also have some smart comments usually on YouTube and over on uh, Twitter, just because you know what? I got to keep Trey on his feet. Uh, make sure you also give Trey a follow at Trey MB harness. And also to all our fans out there that got us to just over 10,000 downloads, just uh, this last uh, in the last day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I know I don't do a whole lot, Ryan and Mike here. They, they're the real heroes of this show. But somehow they still let me come in here once in a while and make some silly uh, comments about the Rough Riders. Not sure why they do, but they, they do, I guess. So anyways, no, uh, Banjo Bull this week. Looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, hoping to get going here and uh, make sure Trey has a fun evening. Am I getting a copyright strike for that, or is that uh, royalty-free banjo music? Actually, I think it's royal free, royalty-free. So, okay, perfect. Uh, no, Adam, we bring you in for your takes on the your commentary on the riders because it just looks bad if it's three bomber fans doing it. So that's why we bring you in. No, of course, uh, an important part, part um, an important part of the show. Don't sell yourself short, short here, Adam. Uh, I'm very happy to have you and Trey joining us here uh mike and i after uh, many years of just the two of us it's been a lot of fun podcasting with with the three of you throughout this season and hey they say the season only starts at labor day which means we're just getting started here two episodes a week all the way down the stretch throughout the rest of the cfl season it's bound to be a lot of fun uh if you want to follow me on twitter you can find me at cooper trooper 42 i don't tweet a lot but you can find me there uh, right after this, I'm going to be getting ready for my uh, NFL fantasy draft because the NFL season starts up uh, in just a couple of days here. So it's a great time to be a football fan. We're getting into the, the thick of the CFL season here and the NFL starting up and college football starting up and all that fun stuff. So look forward to, if you like football, it's a good time of year for you. Uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, uh, we always appreciate it if you do all the fun things such as like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, share the show with your friends, help us continue to grow the show. And uh, on behalf of our panel here this evening, for Mike and Adam and Trey, who joined us earlier, I'm Ryan saying thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>